And if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. It's always good to read along with us. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and keep that one. But today, in Matthew chapter 20, we begin reading in verse 17, where it says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open." So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. What a tremendous blessing it is to be able to study the Bible together. As we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus Christ presented to us as the King, the King of the Jews, the King of our life. As we look at our study today, there are so many things to glean, but one of the things that we see regarding you know, the Lord is, number one, His passion. We'll see that in verses 17 through 19. Number two, his position. We see that in verses 20 through 28. And then number three, his power. We see that in verses 29 through 34. When you study the Bible, it's always good, uh, one, to look and see what does it reveal about God? One, his passion. Two, his position. Three, his power. But then also when you're studying the Bible, it's good to ask the Lord, well, what do I need to do in light of these things? As we have this gospel before us, Lord, what is the message regarding me and my life? And obviously when you discover who God is, there's always implications regarding that and responses to who he is. But I think as we look at our study today, we're going to see today, number one, a lesson in listening 
Number two, a lesson in serving. And then number three, a lesson in praying. We see, first of all, the lesson in learning. It says there in verse 17 that Jesus going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside on the road and he said to them, here they are going up to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is about to be crucified. And this is now the third time that the Lord really speaks to them in a very formal way that he was about to die. He tells them over and over again, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. But then on the third day, I'll rise again. And that right there, when you look at it one by one, is really awesome to just know the love that Jesus Christ has for us and that he would be willing to go into this cross completely knowing all the details about it. I mean, it wasn't like he went to Jerusalem and he kind of had an idea of what might happen to him, that there was kind of a road of suffering ahead. No, he knew the details. As a matter of fact, Luke, it tells us that he knew they were going to spit on him. This is his passion. This was his suffering. This is his prophecy. He knew exactly what he was getting into. And yet, because of the love, that he has, he was willing to go forward. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, Jesus Christ went through all of this because he knew that we needed to be saved. He knew that sin had separated us from God and the only way for us to be reconciled to this holy God was for him to be nailed to the cross and to bear our sins. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 that on him was laid the iniquity of us all. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And those sins against God have separated us from him. Therefore, the God that we serve, the God that made everything, came down And he bore our punishment for us. And you look at this and man, it just blows me away. Jesus Christ suffered in every way. He suffered emotionally. He suffered physically. He suffered for you and me. And you look at that and God just speaks to our hearts volumes of the love that he has for us. You know, the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You know, I don't know what you guys are going through in your life today, and we all have our problems, right? We all have issues. We all have struggles. Uh, But I just pray that no matter what those problems and issues and struggles are, that in the middle of all that, in the epicenter of all that, that you would know the love that God has for you. And as a result of that, the Bible says we love Him because He first loved us, that you would love Him back. That's the passion that we see here, the Lord prophesying what would take place. But then it's kind of interesting, you guys, because as the Lord, you know, pulls him aside, he, you know, he says, hey, you know, let's take a real quick rest, and maybe he sits him down there on the rock or whatever it is, and he's looking into their eyes, and he's trying to communicate to them real clearly these things that were going to take place. But the Bible says that they didn't understand. As a matter of fact, if you would, turn over to Luke chapter 18. We see here something interesting. As the Lord spoke to these guys in verse 34, 
Notice what it says here. It says, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter 16, you see there the Lord predicted his death and resurrection. If you continue to study in Matthew 17, verses 22 through 23, he said it again, not only in Caesarea Philippi, but then later on in Galilee. Now again on the road out of the old Jericho and into the new Jericho, he pulls them aside and he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. But it's amazing because when we read this verse right here, we think, well, this is so clear. I mean, how could they not get it? How could they not understand it? He just says it's so simple. He's going to be betrayed, condemned, scourged, mocked, and crucified. And then on the third day, rise again. Why is it that they would not, they could not hear the words of God? Well, we read as we study through the Bible a few things. The Lord has to say it again. Why? Because his disciples weren't listening. And you know, the Lord wanted to warn them in order that they wouldn't stumble, in order that they would not be sifted as wheat, but they would not listen to his word. He was about to be crucified, and he needed to warn them about this. You know, it's amazing as you read this. I mean, I just think if only the disciples would have really heard these words, they would not have stumbled. I mean, you think about it for a second. If the disciples really understood when God spoke to them and they really allowed those words to sink in, then there on the cross, there would have been, you know, 12 disciples encouraging their friend in the midst of such suffering. If they had really listened to the Lord, they would have been friends to the end, devoted as disciples, standing by their Savior, grieved by Friday, yes, but blessed in prayer knowing that Sunday's coming. And I think a lot of times our problem is the same thing, you guys. We don't really listen. And I believe God is speaking to us. God Almighty is speaking to us. And we can't really hear His voice for the same reasons the disciples couldn't hear His voice. You know, I can't criticize them too much because I wonder how many times I don't really listen to the Lord. And you know, He speaks to us and He re-speaks to us. And then he takes us aside and he sits us down and he looks us in the eyes and he speaks to us again. But due to these things that take place in our life, the carnality, the hard-heartedness and the preconceived ideas, we don't really understand what God is saying. Why is it the disciples could not hear the clear message of Christ? Well, for the same reason that many times you and I don't. You know, one of the things that we see that hinders us from really listening to God's voice is carnality. As a matter of fact, if you would, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just, man, this hinders us from understanding the deep things of God, the personal manna and message for us as his disciples. He says there in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. These are Christians. They're Christians. They can't get the meat. Why? Because they were carnal. And these disciples were carnal. 
They couldn't understand the deep things of God when God was speaking so objectively, so black and white, so clear. God's message was not penetrating their heart due to their carnality. Now we know as we study the disciples, they had a lot of issues, but one of their biggest problems was pride. And pride will deafen you to the voice of Almighty God. One of the things that we see they struggled with over and over again is they were they wanted position. And they were over and over again arguing about who would be great and who was going to be the greatest. And we even see after this that, you know, James and John and their mama comes and asks Jesus, hey, you know, we want one on the right and one on the left. I mean, they were just so carnal. And as a result of that, this is such a tragedy. They could not hear God's voice, God's word, God's message. It's crazy. One thing is carnality. Another problem is that they were hard-hearted. If you go over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, look what it says here in verse 15. It says, Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread? It's, that's why. And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? I mean, these things that are so simple, the leaven of the leaders there, the hypocrisy, the false teachings... God says, beware of it. And what do they do? They think it has to do with bread. Why are you worried about bread? I've already multiplied bread, but for some reason you can't hear my voice and you can't put two and two together. When I do miracles right in front of you, you have no ability to take that miracle and to apply it to your life. Why? Hearts are hard. And you guys, you know how we have studied the Bible and we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 that the Bible is like uh, God's word, and it's like a seed, and it goes into the ground, and then it bears fruit. But what happens? A lot of times this is what happens. People say, you know what, I've been going to church for a long time. You know, and I go, and you know, nothing happens. I'm still the same. Why is that? Well, we're studying the Bible. You know, and I read in the morning, and I do my chapters, and man, I do 20 Chapters a day, whatever it is. And I'm still the same person. Why is that? Well, it's because the seed is not penetrating the ground. It's very simple. And the birds of the air, they come and they devour that seed. And we see that so many times. You know, today, as we were worshiping, you know, I just want to encourage you guys to really worship God. I mean, you know, don't worry about whether or not you have a great voice. Don't really worry about whether or not someone is going to be making fun of you because you lift up your hands to God and you're expressing your love to Him. And you're singing from your soul to God. And you're really doing that. Why? Because what ends up happening is as you're serving the Lord and you're not worried about being cool. I'm, I'm cool. I look at you guys and you're like, cool. No, you know, when you're singing to the Lord, it's opening your heart. It's tenderizing that soil. So that when the word of God comes, it goes in. And that's the way we need to live our life. We need to have a softened soil. God, take your blade to this fallow ground. Let it dig deep down. 
so that when the word of God comes, it's not going to fall on hard hearts. That's one of the reasons they had a heart of carnality, a heart of hardness. And probably as a result of that, they had a heart of preconceived ideas. And when you have preconceived ideas, you're not going to really listen to the Lord. Like, for example, you know, here we are today and you're, you know, sitting here. And I'll just use this as an illustration. Let's just say you came in today and you're like, you know what? God doesn't love me. You know, God loves everybody else, but he doesn't love me. Because I've done this and that and all these things all my life. And so I don't care how much that funny guy talks up front and says that God loves me. I don't believe him because of the things that have taken place in my life. And you know, there are some crazy things that have gone on in this world. I mean, I just think of children being molested. I know one, my uncle, he was molested by a religious leader. How could God love him? And he might be thinking, how could God love me? And as a result of that, he has preconceived ideas. And so here we're trying to share, yes, God does love you. If you ever doubt that love, look at the cross. He died for you. He loves you. We live in a crazy world. Men have a free will. Satan is influencing people left and right. But man, I need to share with you, man, God does love you. And so we need to come with an openness. We need to come to a Sunday service or whatever it is. As you read your Bible with an open heart, God, here I am. I've read this a hundred times, but speak to me again. Show me what it means and how to apply it to my life today and tomorrow. You see, the apostles here, they had preconceived ideas. They thought, well, when the Messiah comes, what he's going to do is he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to beat up the Roman government. He's going to set us free from taxes. And, you know, this is the mission of the Messiah. They totally thought they had the scriptures interpreted their way, the right way, no other way, no other possibility. And yet they didn't realize that when you really look a little deeper, there's more to it than what your theological boxes have. There was two comings. And the first time the Messiah would come, he would come as a suffering servant. But they just were not open to that. They thought, no, he's coming as the lion. He's coming as the king. And as a result of that, they would not listen. And so I just want to encourage you guys today as we look at this, that we see the passion of the Lord. We also see, I believe, a lesson for us all in that God would want us to listen, that he really wants us to listen. And I encourage you guys today, I don't know what your thoughts are. Do you believe that God can speak to you? Do you believe that? I mean, he speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? Do you really believe it's God speaking to you? Then let's really, really listen with all our hearts. Secondly, we see here the lesson uh, in listening. We see also the, the lesson in serving. It says that Zebedee's mom, I mean Zebedee's uh, sons, they came with... Uh, you know, their moms, and they asked Jesus for the position, one on the right and one on the left. They wanted that place of prominence. It's such a sad thing to see. Right after the cross, they come and they ask for a crown. And here we see the Lord just speaking to us regarding the way that we need to change our way of thinking. You know, I, I look at James and John in the Bible, and I would have never thought that 
they would have brought their mama to Jesus like this. Now, again, I don't know for sure if it was them bringing their mama or if there was the mama bringing the boys. But wait a minute, man. These are the sons of thunder. <laughs> these are this big, you know, brawny fishermen. I would have never thought that they would have done that, but apparently they were mama's boys, right? And I just think it's kind of embarrassing that they brought their mom to ask Jesus such a thing, don't you? It really is. As a matter of fact, Mark doesn't even mention the mom. He's like, no, I won't say that. (laughs) That's kind of weird, man. They were off in so many ways. You know what the Lord says right there? He says in verse 32, you do not know what you ask. I mean, they did not know about providence and preparation for position. They didn't even know what true greatness was. They didn't have a clue about leadership. They didn't know what high-ranking positions were for. And yet they really thought, they really thought they were the ones. I'm the one. I mean, can't you see it? They thought they were the ones to sit on Jesus' right hand and Jesus' left. And Jesus essentially said to them, no, it's not for you. He said, you know, you will be one of the 12 sitting on the thrones of Israel there. We saw that in chapter 19, verse 28, judging the tribes of Israel and the millennial kingdom. But as to the right and left of Jesus, if there is such a place, he said to them, it will be determined by my Father. And so when the ten heard it, in verse 24, they were greatly displeased. Why? Not because they were right on. (laughs) It's not because they saw the error in the request. It's because they wanted the position. And I just trip out on this, you guys. Don't you just, just, wow, these are the twelve? I mean, they were so... Prideful. They were so caught up in position. How could they be the ones to change the world? These guys were way off. They were upset. They were always arguing about who would be the greatest. Over in Mark, look over in Mark chapter 9. Look at these guys in verse 33. It says, And then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you were disputing among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. That was them. We see it over in the Gospel of Luke, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 9, in verse 46. And a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. We see that this was in their heart. Even after this lesson that we read here in Matthew chapter 20, We see that in Luke 22, if you want to turn there, I don't know if you guys knew this. I don't know if uh, Leonardo da Vinci caught this or not, but in Luke 22, in verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. That took place during the Last Supper. And so, man, these guys were totally way off. And I just pray that we would just completely kill that thought in our hearts. Like uh, Jeremiah told Baruch, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. We can't be like this. The Lord explains to them back in Matthew chapter 20 the way that it works. I mean, he says, listen, if you want to be great, here's the way it works. It's not about... You know, you being great and and ruling over people and you calling the shots and you flexing your 
position and your power and your authority and you telling people what to do. That's not what greatness is. Neither is that leadership. No, leadership and greatness is serving. That's what leadership is. That's what service is. And this is so foreign to our flesh. But in all reality, this has got to be in our hearts as Christians. Jesus says, you know how it is in the world. The rulers, they lord it over them. In their prominent positions, they exercise their power over the people. You know, that's why you want to be great, huh? That's why you want to boss people around. You want a big paycheck. You want easy money. You want to be served. You want to fan the flesh with fame and fortune. That's why you want to be great. The Lord says, it shall not be so among you. If you want to be great, and by that, I mean great in God's eyes. Just be a servant. That's what he says right there. The Greek word is diakonos, and it means one who runs errands. They execute the commands of others. They don't run the show, they run errands. Did you know that? That the great ones in this church are the ones who have hearts to run errands. Did you know that? The ones who are behind the scenes, they're in the prayer meetings, no one sees them. The ones who vacuum the carpet or empty the trash or scrub the toilets, they're the great ones, the Lord says. That's the type of heart that we need to have. And even if God does make us a leader, that heart must never change. It must never change. You know, you know a lot of people, they'll point over to the book of Acts chapter 6 and they'll say, you know, when the uh, uh, need arose for the widows to receive their daily distribution, um, the apostles said, we can't get involved in that anymore. We're too busy. Uh, and so they you know, called up these deacons and they raised them up and they served them. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is, is when God you know, might add to the church, a lot of times the mentality might be, well, I can't do those types of things anymore. And all I can say is that, that that's a struggle that I think is an error, that, that we need to always have that heart. It doesn't matter if you're the senior pastor, assistant pastor. It doesn't matter if you oversee a ministry and you've got you know, 20,000 people in your church. You're never too great to scrub the toilet. You know, and of course, this doesn't just apply in church I mean, it applies at home. A lot of times, guys got that mistaken mentality. Well, you know, I'm the head of this home, you know. And so, you know, you go pick up the poop, and then you wash the dishes. And some guys are so crazy lazy, they won't put their clothes in the hamper. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And you know what? I encourage you guys to, to go home. And to find those little tasks, quote, little tasks, and begin to do them. You pick up the poop. You empty the trash. You scrub the floor. You vacuum. You go get the water. You do whatever it is. Because that's the type of heart that God wants us to have. Here we see the Greek word diakonos. That's the heart that we need to have. Whether it be vacuuming the carpet, mopping floors, folding bulletins, emptying the trash, changing the diapers. Um... (laughs) praying behind the scenes, doing whatever it is. This is greatness in God's eyes. And for those of you who really, really want to be right on, the Lord says right there, look what he says in verse 27, and whoever desires to be first among you, 
Let him be your slave. You see, that's the mentality. We shouldn't have the mentality, I want to run the show. No, as Christians, we want to be, I want to run errands. And I don't want to be king on the throne. I want to be slave at his feet. That's the Greek word. The Greek word here speaks of a slave. And it's the word doulos. It speaks of one who is devoted to another, completely disregarding their own interests. These are individuals that don't fight for their rights. They lay down their rights for God and his people. You know, over the years, I've seen some ugly, ugly things in ministry. People have come up and say, hey, you know what? You know, my uh, whatever, husband, son, they should be considered for that position. People have told me stuff like that. Or people have the misconception that they think, well, this is kind of like a, you know, a union, seniority. And if we've been here for X amount of years, then how is it that they're you know, over us? Ugly, carnal, power struggles. And God says, no, that's not the way it works. If you want to be great, be a diacono. If you want to be really right on, then have the heart of a slave. And then God will reward you forever and ever and ever and ever. Why would you trade in that everlasting reward for some temporary reward? You know, it's not that we don't have leaders. We need leaders. God has ordained leaders for the church, but we need servant leaders. We really need leaders with the heart of a bondservant. The Lord would say later in Matthew 23, look what he says in Matthew 23, verse 11, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. He said earlier, if you go over to Matthew chapter 18, verse 4, therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus did when he washed his feet of the disciples and when he died on the cross. This is the revelation of his greatness, not necessarily his majesty, but his humility. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8, that Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If we all had this mentality, this church, this city, this state, this country, this world, will reap the benefits of that. To have that servant's heart. There you are in your home. There you are in the church. There you are in life. Always willing and wanting to serve. Not caught up in prestige. You know, I remember a while back we went and served at the Somebody Loves You Crusade in Las Vegas, you know, and we were kind of one of the last minute people that we kind of got, they said, oh, okay, we'll let you serve. And uh, we went there and it was, a, it was a blessing. We had such a great time. But I remember, you know, going there and, you know, receiving our assignments and responsibilities and they said, okay, here, they didn't even have a t-shirt for us. We're like, oh man, you know. We didn't have our, and so we got these just generic red shirts that we put on. And then when they gave us our different responsibilities, they sent me up in the nosebleed section. I was way over there. <laughs> and I was ushering, you know, and uh, there was nobody in my section. I'm like, who am I ushering? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the devil puts thoughts in, in your mind. He's like, don't they know you're a pastor? 
I mean, why do they got you here ushering nobody? I mean, you should be like, you know, right there. This is how ugly we are. And I don't know if I thought this, but I know these thoughts go through your head. I should be on the stage. I should be sitting next to Pastor Raul Reese, you know? (laughs) It's ugly, huh? But when those thoughts come in, you bring every thought into captivity and you crucify it. And you say this, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. And then later on they asked me, you know, I think it was the second day or whatever, hey, you want to go in the pastor's room? I said, no, it's okay. I I just want to usher nobody. (laughs) It's easy to do. (laughs) But it was cool. But we struggle with these things, you guys. This has got to be our heart, though. You know, these guys eventually learned, Peter would later write in 1 Peter 5, verse 2 and 3, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. I think we learned this morning about listening. I pray you would listen to God's voice in your life. I think we learned this morning about serving, to serve the way that Jesus did because it says right there in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, when you have the heart of a servant to do the will of the Father, then you will be used to save souls. That's the Jesus mission. He gave his life a ransom for you. You know, in one sense, you and I were all kidnapped. And we were taken and captive by Satan. And the ransom was a perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus Christ paid the perfect sacrifice for you to ransom us back. And we learn these lessons today. One last thing. I think this is a lesson in praying. Because, you know, there they go. They're on the road And there's two blind men it mentions here. Mark only mentions Bartimaeus maybe being the more prominent one. But as they they hear, hey, Jesus is passing by, they begin to cry out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And to me, that's an expression of prayer. You know, and I just encourage you guys to have their faith. I mean, here they are blind, right? They're blind. I mean, what can uh, anyone do to a blind man, for a blind man? But they knew, these guys knew, God can handle it. This one, the son of David, he can heal me. What about you? In the situations that you're facing in life, are you convinced that he is able? That he can take care of you? That he can take care of that? Whatever it might be. None of us here are blind. But we have other things. Here we see this Man, these men, they had faith. They were men of faith. They were men of passion. They didn't just say, um, Son of David, have mercy on us. You know, they, they were crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. They were crying out. They were passionate. And then when people were saying, Hey, be quiet, what did they do? They were persistent. They said it again. That's got to be a description of our prayer life passionate, persistent, filled with faith. 
And then what happens? Jesus stops. Hey, man, homeboy's got my attention. (laughs) And so he stops. There's somebody here who's serious. And this is what he says. What do you want me to do? Ah, What would you say? If the Lord, he just turned to you and he said, what do you want me to do for you? I was talking to my daughter on the way over here about this. And, you know, I don't know if we would really have an answer to that. We're real vague in our prayers. And I think God wants us to be a lot more specific. That he lays something on your heart or he lays a few things on your heart. And we have a bullseye that we're shooting for, that we're praying for. What would you say if Jesus right now said, what would you want me to do for you? What would you say? And they knew, oh, Lord, that we might see. And so what happens? It says that the Lord had compassion and he touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. You know, sometimes we think it's not cool to pray for myself. Um, But here's the thing, you guys. You know the problems that you have. Like no one else. I mean, we all know the wickedness of our hearts. We all know the deep needs that we have. And it's cool to pray for others, to intercede, to stand in the gap. But I encourage you to know your own defects and to pray for yourself. Because as you pray for yourself passionately and persistently, by faith, crying out, getting God's attention, then He will heal you. Why? Because you know, we know. Here we are today and we know. There's nothing I can do for myself. I need God to touch me. And as He touches you, look what happens there. It says, and they followed Him. And that's the result. And that's our desire. Whatever the requests are, it's only that we can follow Him. It's only that He would lead our lives. It's only that He would then use us for His glory forever and ever and ever. And so I just encourage you guys, as we've studied today, we've seen the passion of Christ. We've seen the position of Christ. We've seen the power of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for revealing Yourself to us. We also have a lesson in listening. We have a lesson in serving. And I believe we have a lesson in praying. And God is calling us to pray. God is calling us to cry out. God is calling us to worship Him. Without, you know, being embarrassed. God is calling us to pray and to fast. And as we study this, and now we bring them into application, I believe God will do a great work in your life. I'm so blessed to see what the Lord is doing and how He is just, uh, you know, graciously taking care of this church. And um, I just pray that one by one, all of us here would just fall deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. And if you're here today and maybe you've been struggling or maybe you're not a Christian or if you're in that situation, then today we do want to give you that opportunity to give your life to the Lord, to rededicate your life to the Lord. That's really what it's all about, man. That when you die, that when we die, 
will go to heaven and will be with him. That's what it says right here. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? He came to give his life a ransom for you and for me. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word, Lord, today. And Father, I just pray that you would continue to work in our life. I pray, Father, that you would take these things and help us to be better listeners, help us to be better servants, help us to be uh, prayer warriors, Lord, like Bartimaeus was. I pray, Father, that we would know who you are, your passion, your willingness to suffer, your position, and that you humbled yourself. I pray we would know your power, how you are able to heal and to change anyone, any situation. I just pray we would know that today. And uh, just as every eye is closed, every head is bowed, as you guys are there, if you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian and you want to give your life to Christ today, Uh, Or maybe you're here today and you've drifted from God and today you want to come back to Him. Right now, right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand and uh, we're going to pray for you, man. And as God sees that hand, that step of faith, everything will change in your life. He will write your name in the book of life. He will give you a new strength and a new start. Anyone here today, don't be afraid. Let's go ahead and raise your hand. Pray for you. Praise God for that hand that has gone up. Anyone else? This is really the most important part of this service. Whereas God has spoken to you and you make a decision uh, to follow him. It's an opportunity right now. And if you sense the battle of your heart is beating, it's because it's a battle for your soul. And you don't want to leave the same person. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. I'm going to pray this prayer. And uh, for those of you who raised your hands, just repeat after me this prayer from your heart. and, uh, And God will change everything. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you pray this prayer. And if you mean it... um, then the Lord will come in. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, Lord I just pray for those that are uh, here today that raise their hand. Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that even now you would give them that faith that they need. Lord, to be saved and to rededicate their life to you. And so you just pray with me this prayer. Uh, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. Today I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live this life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer afterwards, if you would come up and let's talk. We would like to give you some material. Why don't we all stand, you guys? And I just pray the Lord would bless you today and this week and that uh, you would just abound in his love. Let's sing.